Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have a very special guest today. I'm glad that you all are about to hear the conversation that we're about to have because we were almost about to have our own podcast off air. So I'm so glad that Benny kind of told me, you know, kept me in line and told me to get on live. So that's what we're going to do. Ben said, God for is the founder of Radius Earphones. And for people, if you don't know, this was before Dre came out with his earphone line. So Ben can brag and say that he started something before Dr. Dre. Um, he also has a company, tagunder.com, and he's the chief visionary officer at Subject. His industry is consumer electronics, and he has agreed to do a three-hour interview with me, which is insane because we could talk all day. I totally appreciate your time and your graciousness. He also resides in Los Angeles, California currently. He got his BS in business and economics in 04, University of Indiana at Bloomington. Welcome, Ben, to the show. Hi, Jerry. I'm glad to be here with oh, you. Oh, guys, Jerry. And, uh, <laughs> what you did I call say? Me that. You can call me Jerry. You can you can do that. My audience, my audience doesn't be a Kiko, but call me Jerry. Kiko. Okay. Sorry. You can raise the Kiko. curtain up. It's all good. Call me Jerry. Okay. That's good. Right. <laughs> so, what you just, your thanks for the introduction, by the way. Uh, I know I didn't send you updated information. You got all, a lot of that information off of LinkedIn, which is <laughs> years old, including the picture. <laughs> and I think when we got on the camera, you were surprised by my look, no hair versus you look the good, one man. you posted. You look good, though. But uh, yeah, so I did start Radius Earphones. That was a, a, a few years back. That, and uh, then I started Subject, which was another, another headphone company. And that was uh, before Dr. Dre uh, started his uh, Beats by Dre and kind of destroyed <laughs> our uh, our business so oh, i had to switch from there to uh different things but i got into apparel and now i do apparel manufacturing but i'm also in addition i'm gonna uh uh move i'm gonna start another company basically uh where we're gonna reduce our manufacturing in apparel i'm gonna move into doing cabinet manufacturing in the next okay. couple of months so have you always um, been like that, just very business-minded? Uh, I wouldn't say. Uh, I've always loved starting businesses and new things. And I think the apparel company was, uh, was one of the more successful. My first successful business that I started uh, was a process, like having a bunch of failures from not necessarily failures. It was all learning. I I, I did okay in, in the other businesses, but every time with every new business, I learned from the previous businesses and I just, I don't know. It was always a learning experience. So I wouldn't call it a failure, uh, but just a learning experience that helped me start another business that became more successful over time. That's That's a good way to put it. I kind of want the audience to know, man, we, we go way back, Ben. Um, as the audience knows, you call me by my real name, which no one hardly does besides people who have known me at least 20 years. And so right. we went to high school. So what, then what did you change to Kiko? Kiko happened in Spanish class, man. Uh, third, third year. Spanish three is when it became super official because Ace <laughs> actually stole my name that I wanted. And so he was Felipe... That's who I want to be was Felipe. 
but he stole my name. And so I had to settle for Kiko and Kiko just stuck. And so after that, I was like, yeah. And I want to always feel more global and international anyway. So Kiko felt like a good stage name to have. And so it stuck all these years. I'm 40 now. And that happened when I was 16. So 24 years in rolling with Kiko, my other wow. alias. But wow. as far as you, man, you told me in high school that you're originally, <coughs> you're originally from Iran. Yeah. So, so what's a little bit into your backstory for the audience to know, to give this a little bit more context, the stuff we're going to talk about. So I was born in Iran. I moved to the United States when I was 14. So basically I almost finished eighth grade in Iran. And right before I was about to take my final exam in eighth grade, we left. And, uh, and the problem, we moved to Austria. I was in, lived in Austria for four months while we were working on immigrating. I came here as an immigrant mm-hmm. to the United States. So I was in Austria for four months. Then we came to the United States. I was in New York for two weeks. And then I moved to Nashville where my family lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I came to Nashville on a Wednesday and I started school. I went to Hillsborough High School. Freshman, I started freshman year at Hillsborough High School on, on Monday. So I, I came in on a Wednesday, started school on Monday. So I went to school on Monday, not knowing any English. And uh, Hillsborough High School, I don't know if you guys know at the time, I don't know if it is right now, was an international school where they had ESL and where all the uh, foreigners, all the foreign kids, all the immigrants, Mm-hmm. We came to Nashville, they went to Hillsborough High School because they had a ESL program where you uh, uh, you learned English and some of your classes and then you went to, uh, you did all your other lessons, uh, you know, your math and science and everything else. And uh, I remember going to school the first day and uh, it was, it, I mean, there was, it was it was shocking because I went to I went to all boys school in Iran. Boys and girls are separated; oh. they're not mixed schools. So boys go to their own school, girls go to their own school, and I also went to all Jewish school in uh, oh, wow. in Iran. Yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting experience, you know, coming into a high school, and uh, you know, I want to say that, that when I moved to the U.S., it was the the best time and the worst time for a kid to to immigrate at 14 years old because when you're 13 and 14 you're just sort of coming into your own trying to figure out who who you are you know Mm -hmm. and just getting thrown into this new world you know that you you just just you know you just came into it was it was very difficult at the beginning. I mean, I, the first year, it was it was a very difficult, one of the most difficult times in my life. What was not it? Knowing is- English, not mm-hmm. having friends, trying to make friends, uh, and I, mean, I, I was I was depressed. I gained like so much weight, and uh, but over time, it kind of sort of uh, worked. I worked through it and. I started playing soccer, and I think once I started playing soccer, it kind of helped change a lot of things because in the soccer field, 
you know, you're, you're, you're able to, to be yourself and play where you, where you lack in other places of like socializing with other, like, let's say American kids and in language or in like other things, you can show that in what you're capable of on the soccer field mm-hmm. with your, you know, with your soccer skills. And that's where I started making friends because I was good at soccer and, uh, and I kind of sort of helped me get out of that and start making a like connection and socializing. And by then I'd learned English. So it just, uh, my life changed from then on. And what was your impression of, because you moved to, um, right in Franklin, the Franklin Nashville area. What was your impression of the area? Do you have any sort of preconceived notions about Tennessee before you moved to Tennessee? Uh, no, I have preconceived notion about America, not Tennessee. Gotcha. Okay. Because when you're when you live outside of the United States, you think of America as this place that is just what well, when people think of uh, America, they think of Times Square, like lights sure. and just like things happening and everybody's having a great time and mm-hmm. you know so that's and everything is modern and clean and organized but that i remember i was so disappointed because we came into jfk and jfk is just it, now maybe they, they've cleaned it up but back then it was just like kind of not what i had expected mm. so that was my my first thing but uh i didn't have no i didn't have a pre, any preconceived notion of Tennessee in general. Now, when you say you're from, are you from Tehran? I'm from Tehran, yes. Tehran's a big city, right? Tehran is a big city. It's it's a pretty modern city at this point. I haven't been there in 20, 25 years, but yeah, it's a modern city. uh, And it's the capital of Iran. Do you... um, so you say you have you have been back since, or no, I have you not have been back? No, I have not. Do Do you have any desire to go back? Uh, do I have a desire? I want to go back to see, just to to see the to visit. You know, go back to the places I used to visit. Uh, go back to the home I used to live in, just to see if it even exists there or not. Mm. Uh, most of my friends, most of my family, uh, actually, like I say. 90% of uh, my classmates who I grew up with in Iran, they actually live in America now. And about 80% of them live in Los Angeles. So is there I a reason for some that? of them now? Uh, is there a reason? I don't know. There is, there is just a huge uh, Iranian community in California, especially in Los Angeles. Um, so I think it's because of maybe the weather and the weather is like kind of similar to, to, Tehran and in Iran, uh, and so they a lot of people would start immigrating in the eighties. Uh, they came to Los Angeles to start working, and it just became a base. Like the same way in Nashville, Nashville has the largest uh, population of Iraqi Kurds. Mm-hmm. You know, because they the once once people immigrated and they set up a community the people who immigrate, they want to be part of that community because that's where they have access to, you know, support jobs, uh, you know, to be able to set up businesses and things like that. 
and I think that's a really good one. Is um the whole dynamic with Jewish people is that common in Iran? Because when I think of Iran, I don't think of Jewish people being there, like not in large numbers anyway. Am, am I wrong in that assessment? Uh, you're right and you're wrong at the same time. So <laughs> Iran, Iran has the largest popula Jewish population in the Middle East outside of Israel. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yes. But the population right now, I think, stands at like 30,000. Okay, so that's relatively small. I mean, 30,000 relatively small, but it's the largest uh, Jewish population in the Middle East. So you can't find any Jews in Iraq, in Lebanon, in, exactly. You know, any, any of the Saudi Arabia, Jordan, you, you don't find it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I think there's a mis we all have this picture of places. And I know we're going to get into this like Israel or it, you know, uh, like you asked me, they have a preconceived notion of like America, for example. Mm -hmm. so we all have these preconceived notions of all these places. And a lot of people think Iran is this place where it's like, a, yes, it is an Islamic Republic. Uh, it is presented in the news as a place where, you know, things are very harsh. And they are. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of control. But the people... You can't, you can't, uh, people, a, a country's government doesn't represent their people in a way, at least not anymore. You know, does, does our current government represent all the people in the United States? Good I don't point. Think so, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. So the, a lot of people think, oh, Jewish people had a hard time living in, uh, living in Iran. To a certain extent, maybe, yes, there are restrictions, you know, and there is some people, the same way people, you know, they say there are racist people in America, there are, you know, anti-Semitics in, in Iran, but it doesn't represent everybody, you know. For sure. Uh, my father had a successful uh, manufacturing business uh, with, you know, his partners were all Muslim. Uh, I went to an all-Jewish school. We had our own synagogue. Uh, you are free to go wherever you want, to do whatever mm -hmm. you want, you know, as long as they're all within the limits of what the government tells you, not just for Jews, but for, you know, everybody. Uh, we were able to, you know, observe our, we had religious freedom. Uh, and, uh, but then there were like, were they, well, there were like clashes between like kids saying oh you're a jew right had, like heard these things and i remember we used to have we had we had our school uh my jewish school our school was right next to another school that was a muslim school like a regular public school basically and we were separated by a wall oh man uh, and it was like there were times where it would just be a you know, people like one person would start throwing trash from one side from that school into <laughs> ours, and then we start throwing trash. And it just become like a war, you know. And then I remember there were times where we go outside and you get chased by kids, you know, mm. trying to like beat you up because you oh were, man, you were Jewish, but it wasn't. But it it sort of. Be, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. It's almost like kids trying to discover themselves, like considering right, all the, the cultural intricacies things, and everything. You know. Mm -hmm. So that's that's all it was. Okay. But, you know, Iran is a, is a beautiful country. People are very hospitable. 
uh, they're very they're very welcoming people. I say they're very smart and educated, uh, and you know they've they've been through a lot. You know the past three decades, four decades. Since, no doubt. You know the Iran Iraq War, or even since the revolution, there's just so many things been happening in in the last five to ten years economically it's just been devastating with, mm-hmm. you know inflation and hyperinflation i don't know if you knew it the you know right now they're telling us the official inflation rate in the u.s is like 9.1 percent mm-hmm. right or in reality it's more like 10 or 20 it's more, more like, like 12 18, like 20 percent oh 20 really Oh yeah, man, it's between eighteen and twenty percent. That makes sense, though. At the same, yeah, I knew it was higher than nine. What do you think the rate of inflation has been in Iran in the past five years? In the past five years, yeah, mm, double that twenty, twenty percent. No, over a hundred percent. Close to a thousand percent. Oh gosh, that's that's insane. So yeah, well, let's put it into perspective. If you, I was talking to my friend who moved here five years ago. And he said, you know, the exchange rate for the dollar to the Iran's currency, which is the Toman, it was 3,000 Toman per dollar. Mm. And today the exchange rate is at 30,000 Toman per dollar. So, you know, people, it's it's just a lot that's that's happening there. Is there a reason why... Is it simply because of war? Is it because of conflict? Or is it because of some other outside force? Well, a lot of it is because of sanctions. Sanctions, mm-hmm. The U.S. sanctions uh, has to do with the government being corrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, you know, people, just corruption. A lot of it is corruption. Uh, and, yeah. And see, that's an interesting point. Um, I always try to tell my friends that are they see war as just simply um, combat on the field. Um, sanctions are also a form of war. Like I always try to remind people that because look at what you just explained, the economic effects just from the sanctions alone, you know, not to mention corruption in the government. And you have other issues outside of, you know, just the U.S. and Iran. Um, but sanctions, they definitely take their toll on people. And, yeah. and, and that's who it really hurts. It hurts the population. The government right. always has a way to hide or, you know, do something with their resources, but the people don't have anywhere to hide. They're always going to be vulnerable. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, look, the people at the end are always who's going to get hurt. And I think a lot of times we judge, you know, in our mind, of, you know, let's say people, a lot of people that support Ukraine and they're against Russia. Listen to into words is that a lot of times, times we don't think of the effects that those have on on, on us as humans mm-hmm. right so people say you know russia russia we're gonna put sanctions on russia but you know there's there are babies who are in russia there are poor people in russia there are sick people in russia it doesn't mean that you know nobody's supportive of ukraine and the people in ukraine is that what we buy into a narrative from the news that this place is bad and this per- this country is doing this or, uh, you know, Putin's is destroying, you know, invaded Ukraine. So we've got to put sanctions on Russia. 
we I think we all need to sort of go one step beyond and realize that if we all buy into a certain narrative, what are the consequences of that for the people in general who live in those countries? Does that make any sense? Is it makes total sense. I'm actually going to also expand on what you were just saying about um, just the folks on the human, the, the person perspective of this. A lot of people, we have to also realize that within the United States, we do have um, lots of groups here. We have lots of free thinking people, individuals, but there's a disconnect between the free thinking individuals, the individual ethnic cultural groups, and then the broader um, United States as a whole, the, the culture that we sort of cultivated here, which is um, it's a culture that's very much predicated on mon monoculturalism, um, not accustomed to anything outside of the one language, which is not even an official language. English is a de facto language of the United States, not an official language. But we know a lot of these individuals, <coughs> they really haven't traveled a lot. And so their perceptions of places are very different from the reality on the ground. And so you take Russia, for instance, these same people who they see Putin, they don't realize that, and it doesn't make it right that these people in the first place would favor quote unquote minorities over the majority anyway, when you talk about race and culture, but a lot of people think that Russians are just full of white people. And, and, and that's completely opposite of the reality on the ground. I can't tell you how much diversity there is in Russia. There's so much diversity. And a lot of people just ignore that and they make it seem like, oh, the poor Ukrainians versus the powerful Russians. And I'm saying to myself, you realize that a lot of the Russians live in Ukraine, too. A lot of right. Russians live in Ukraine. And, and it's just these people, they don't have, they just basically, like you said, they listen to what um, the legitimized authority is. The news tells them. But the news doesn't really go into the details of, of the actual reality. But the news is constructing a reality that they want to project. For sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's all it's all a it's all a construct. Everything that we're we're being shown is is a construct. It's somebody's narrative of a situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I think that's what we all need to, to, to realize is to like sort of take off the, the goggles, you know, <laughs> and, and really think because we, we, we've, we've sort of outsourced our brain to the, to the news, mm -hmm. to like what we're being told. And, and, and we, we, we don't think beyond that and part. You know, a lot of time I think it's I, I can't blame those same people because they're always they're also busy trying to make a make a living. Mm -hmm. You know, they're working, they they're busy with their kids, they're they're trying to, you know, survive, and they only have little time to to see what's going on around the world, and that's their little place where they go to get their information, and and that place is, is you know creating a reality that doesn't exist absolutely right and mm -hmm. that that becomes their sort of reality so when, when i that's why i also uh, when we when we say like oh we're brainwashed right this is <laughs> we are. Brainwashing, that's what it is <laughs> right is is 
everything is like it's a construct, you know. And sometimes you gotta st uh, step back and start asking questions, mm -hmm. you know. And and we we need to have more empathy, I think, especially now, about the consequences of the things we do, the things we say, uh, the way we react to certain things, and 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 have uh, love towards show more love towards each other. I totally agree, man. I, I like that message. And I think this conversation is really important to you, not just because I know you, but also I believe that um, I don't, I know you don't get into social media a whole lot, but just based on our conversations that we've had, I feel like that you're very misinterpreted. Just, I think you will be misinterpreted to a broader audience just based on what you just said, because it's like someone says something and people already have an idea of what you're going to say based on whatever affiliation they've put on you already, but you don't even have sort of the spotlight to say what you really feel. And, and you're also self-censoring yourself the whole time because you say something, you don't know how the message is going to be interpreted once you click the post on the computer. And, and I feel like me and you are really in a situation, we don't really, we don't fall into these boxes, um, into these cheerleading squads when something goes up. We just, we kind of sit back and just, you know, let it play out or, you know, try to consider all the different information we get because a lot of this stuff is emotionally driven. It's completely emotional. And there's no um, actual like justification behind it besides the emotion. And that doesn't make it be wrong, you know, for that person. But I'm just saying, um, for the benefit of everyone else, that's very dangerous for the rest of us because what if we don't have the same emotional attachment? Now we're getting pulled into something based on your emotions, but not based on actual rationale. No, I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think part of the reason why we can see them, at least for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, but I guess it's in, in different ways. For me, it's that I've lived in different places, you know, as an immigrant, I came from Iran, you know, I've experienced living there. I moved to Austria, I've lived in Israel, I've moved to America, I lived in Nashville, I've moved to Los Angeles. I've been to enough places to, that I've seen like different cultures, different realities, different, uh, you know, ex lived different sort of experiences and know that, you know, what you see on TV, right, or what you're exposed to on the news or on TV is not necessarily the reality that's happening in those places. So mm -hmm. you're sort of, you're, you're able to spot it and you see it, you're like, oh my, this is like, it's, it's bullshit, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. Yeah. Right? So for me, that experience, has come as an immigrant. And I think for you, it's come as someone, you're a Spanish professor, right? Mm -hmm. That you you lived in other countries. Yeah, you, visited you places. Traveled, you mm -hmm. visited places and you've seen, there is a lot of people who live in different places and everybody, and a lot of times it's not, what you had heard about a place is not what it, you know. Not at all. told you what, right? So that experience, it kind of gives you uh a perspective to when you when you're 
when somebody tells you something, you you don't necessarily take it as hundred percent fact, mm -hmm. right? And that you start asking questions. And I, I think our our job is to help people realize that there is a different perspective, there is a different reality, and that you know even people even people we disagree with, like the the BLM or the Antifa people, right? Or a lot of people on the on the left were like just bought and buying, trying to buy into this all this narrative that we hundred percent disagree with, right? Mm -hmm. I think it, at their core, they believe that what they're doing is is for good, mm -hmm. right? They're they're it's just that their their perspective is. is is different but inherently they all want to do something good they all want to yeah for sure do you understand what i'm saying mm -hmm. so they're not bad people it's no just no 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 the way their the, the frame of reference is on the wrong but at the same time they're they're truly feel like they're trying to make a difference a hundred percent no doubt trying yeah. to make the world a better place and see this that's the thing about it i like right now people ask me it's like you know you shouldn't be able to pin a person down. Like right now, I would describe myself as, as politically a homeless person. And we're going to get into kind of like your political philosophy and stuff just a little bit. But I think it kind of shine through, you know, based on some of the issues we're talking about, because I want to hit a lot of these topics that we got, man. It's literally a book full of topics that I threw at you. And, you know, we're going to discuss it. But as far as your perspective, you know, being a Jewish person, the whole idea with Palestine, there have been lots of different chatter out about a two-state solution and, and all these different alternatives. Like you, as, as Benny said, Gadfar, like what, what is your whole take on that situation between the Palestinian Authority and, and Israel? Because the news, the news really is hard to kind of get I guess a, a more objective side to it because right. you do have, um, I think the mainstream media definitely projects more of the U S Israel sort of Alliance and, right. and then the Palestinian side really isn't heard as much, but then you have outlets that have pretty much pro Palestine and it's like, you know, Israel, whatever about Israel. What's your view on that? Well, let's let me, what is your view? And then I'm going to give you my, I want to, I'm gonna explain. So, just tell me what's your what is your perspective on Israel and Palestine and the conflict, and what do you who do you think is right or wrong? And you just be be yeah, open yeah, yeah. with how you I feel. Will. I don't want you to I try will. to hold back or censor yourself. I no, no, I know, I know you don't want it because I've we've had these conversations, and the thing about it, the Israel situation is very sensitive. And Martine, if you listen to the first interview. Um, when you when you say anything critical of Israel, um, they tag the anti-Semitic on you very quickly. Like I've gotten that a lot over the years. And and with people that I thought I was cool with, I'm saying to myself, are you serious? Like you really believe I think that about you? And um I just as an independent person, the way I take in the news, I can see clearly that over the years it's been presented very favorable in Israel's um to Israel's advantage, in my opinion. So I'm trying to look, okay, can I get another perspective besides this same one that keeps getting bombarded in my mind? And so over time, I, I've developed a sympathy more for Palestinians 
only because I feel like the Israel, they may not necessarily be the aggressor all the time, but I feel like they have the dominant position because the U.S. is definitely aligned more with Israel. And so I'm automatically going to, to take the side that's more of the people who are being oppressed, you know, and, and Israelis have been oppressed throughout history for sure. But in this particular situation, Israelis haven't been oppressed throughout history. You don't think Jewish so? people have. Oh, Jewish people. Okay, okay, good. Okay, you gotta, you gotta make it. You gotta, you gotta. I think part of uh, this is why I asked the question. Well, that's what you, you hear. That's what you hear. And you have to separate between the 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 country of Israel mm -hmm. and somebody who's Jewish. They're not the same thing. Right. Israel is not the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Jewish people are just Jewish people. They're the it's a religion. It's a Christian. Mm -hmm. like, now, Israel is a country that mm -hmm. there is a, a lot of Jewish people live in that country. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but go on. What, what's but, your? Per but so that what was. You but that was based on. But that was based on. This is a relatively recent history. What? When was it? 1948? The state of Israel after World War Two. My my whole thing is um I believe that Palestine should have its own you know territory. I think it should have its own place, and I feel like um I I, I don't I don't believe those are settlements. I I just think it's taking people's land. I mean personally, I think it's and it seems like it's just becoming more and more shrunken to where Palestine is like it's just getting smaller and smaller by the decade. It's like. Every every time you look, it seems like there's just more Israelis taking over Palestinian land, and 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 that's that's the what the side that I see. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's no, what but, I see. So let we got to play this out because I think every we're all Israel conflict, in my opinion, just like I'm going to compare it to like the to abortion is something. It's a tool. It's a tool to to divide people mm. and to and it's something that's that's not meant to ever be resolved okay right so let's mm -hmm. let's let's take abortion for example right and then we're going to get back to israel what are your thoughts on on abortion i mean pro-life or pro-choice well I, I think that's a i think there's a simple way of putting it out but me personally I believe in personal autonomy. So absolutely, a person should have the right to their own body, body decisions. So I'm 100% pro-choice. Okay. But do you think the narrative is simple as just pro-life or pro-choice? Or is it it's a little bit more colorful than that? It's way more complicated because I know a lot of people who are pro-choice that still say they wouldn't be able to go through an abortion themselves. So, right. so that in itself creates a lot of nuance. And so um, with the decision that just got handed down a few weeks ago, a lot of people that including myself on the ground, you may be one way or the other, but at the end of the day, no one knows how they're going to act in a certain situation. And so I'm pro-choice, but I'm not going to shit on people who are pro-life, you know, quote unquote. I'm not going to do that. Um, to me, it's not an issue where it's not up to me to to shun people who have their view one way or the other. I just have my view. I keep it that way. Um, I don't think the decision should have been made. No, I don't think it should have been made. 
Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, it has been used as a political football. And, um, you know, it, for the people who were for, you know, the who were pro-abortion, something could have been done about it a long time ago and it wasn't done, which opened the door for that possibility to happen in the first place. And um, th that's kind of the I way I look at it. I don't think abortion should be an issue that we even, and, and uh, if we're like an advanced or a civilized society. Right. Yeah, it's not even an I don't issue. Think yeah, a lot of countries abortion, is not an issue. Talking over abortion should be something that we, we even like talk or discuss. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we make these things oversimplified, right? Pro-life, pro-choice. If mm -hmm. you're pro-life, that means you you want to take take control of my body. And if you're pro-choice, it means like you're murdering, you're a baby murderer. Mm -hmm. That's, these are the two things. Nope. And right now, if, if you try to debate anybody, you're like, I'm pro-life. It's like, well, what if it, what if a ten-year-old gets raped? Are you pro a ten-year-old not being able to take a, you know, the ten-year-old who's got who got raped and got pregnant? not mm -hmm. having the ability to get abortion right that's mm -hmm. that's literally the the the, the that's as the, far as the discourse goes right it's like well and then i'll be like well what do you think a baby should be uh uh aborted a day before it's born right these are the two conversations right. it goes right. back it's like cnn versus fox there <laughs> would just or just buy like sometimes when I have conversations with people, I'm like, okay, I know you you watch Fox, you watch CNN because these are like bullet points, you know, mm -hmm. that we we just like keep blabbering at each other, <laughs> yeah, without getting into like the nuance, right? So now you ask me that question: Do I think I'm I consider myself pro-life, for example, right? Now, should a 10-year-old that is raped, that is pregnant, should carry a baby to full term? Absolutely no, not. No. I don't uh -huh. know anybody who would who would agree that that's okay. So mm -hmm. why are we even using it as a as a for sure as a point? Right? Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, uh, do I think that someone should have the ability to just walk into a abortion clinic two months before they have a baby and abort their baby with no questions asked? Absolutely not. Because mm -hmm. you don't know what that person is going through at, the, at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, we got to have some respect for life. Like, what if that person changes their mind? You know, like with, with I think it was a with Planned Parenthood, they don't ask questions. They want to go get an abortion, come on right in. They'll do it. No questions asked. Why you're trying to do it? Uh, why, you know, maybe they're, I, you never know. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of nuances in this whole thing about abortion. And as, as a, like a first world country, as an advanced society arguing over these things is it just it's it's just to me it seems that it's just a tool it's a tool that's designed to engage people and divide people anytime that want you distracted 
Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I agree so, with that for sure. That's that's my perspective on the whole abortion issue. I think there is a place where you know it's 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 necessary and it should be done. And you know, a doctor, you know, some a, a, a doctor can you know make that decision or family can make that decision, and it shouldn't be a a debate mm-hmm. for everybody to just get get to to get involved, right? And it, mm-hmm. and it seems like these these narratives or these things just get more and more extreme every time, right? So like right. abortion, abortion went from what what do they say, rare, safe, and you know uh, you know rare and, and safe to now like let me just do whatever I want anytime I want mm-hmm. right so but 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 for, one- but for me it's like I don't even like I was telling Martin it's not worth my time to argue about it because to me there's just way more important things and 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 for me um I think it's kind of disingenuous because a lot of the people who were upset about it but for sure they were like a lot of these people were women but the thing about it is that it's also a class issue as well. And I feel like a lot of those voices aren't as reasonable as ours, like per se, because you have basically the evangelical perspective versus it's like a white Christian evangelical perspective versus the white super liberal perspective. But you don't have any in-between perspectives that combat those two. But those are those are all like such a small percentage they of are. the total total population. They are, but the way they project it, they make it seem like it's bigger than that. And and then they box you into this lane versus that one. But but that's just like a lot of the black people I grew up with and stuff. Like, have you have you have you talked to those people to see their views on it? They have very different views about culture issues like abortion. Because for me, it's just like I try to stay keep this stuff out because I believe in separation of church and state. That's me personally. And so these types of issues is it's like it kind of falls in the separation of church and state for me. Um, and myself being a free thinker, being an atheist, I'm just like, okay, I've said what I had to say, but I keep it at that. But it's, it shouldn't be an issue that takes the number one spot. Like this should be issue 1,900, you know, on a, it shouldn't be the number one talking point, you know, exactly. right now. It just shows how dumb and ignorant the population is. And how easily manipulated people are into, you know, instead of talking about Ghislaine Maxwell, which is something that's super, super serious, we're talking about a cultural issue that's meant to divide and conquer people. Well, I mean, I think, like I said, if you, like you just said it, it's not the biggest issue we face, right? Then why are we talking about it? Maybe it's used as a tool to distract you mm-hmm. and divide you from something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's take let's take that one step further. What happened when Roe v. Wade came? What else happened during uh, when this thing came out with Roe v. Wade? There was a couple other things. Well, the one other thing that that happened at the same time magically was the the gun debate. Oh, you know, no, yeah, Wade, no doubt. <laughs> and then and then the the gun debate 
but know, those move, are the two move, like two together like going back and it's forth. all it you always goes like, together yeah you're no you're overstretched trying to think uh all yeah. of this so they you got the 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 right got Roe v. Wade. The left got got the gun bill, which mm -hmm. you know, if you read the gun bill, it wasn't even really a gun bill. All it was it was a money grab because all the states got a bunch all of money mm -hmm. to go spend all this. But everybody, you know, but it it get it gave people two things to just like keep fighting, right? Mm -hmm. But there was one other thing happened that wasn't really covered or it just like kind of sw was swept under the rug. And what was that? What do you think? I mean. Oh what damn it! Should you interview me, aren't you, Ben? <laughs> no, I didn't. Because not a lot of people paid attention, mm -hmm. and, and, it, that, and not because they didn't pay attention, because it wasn't it wasn't talked about. You say it was around the same time as um, the yeah. Roe v. Wade and the gun control yeah. laws. Um, well, obviously the Ghislaine Maxwell. That was one of them. Yeah, and I mean, what that, happened when, when, what see, else? What else happened? But I've been following that a lot. Okay, so what happened with the, you know, the Glenn Maxwell went, uh, went to, went to prison, and what else happened? Like two days later, after Glenn, um, I don't know, man. Or just like, R. I, Kelly I, I, got, I, I probably R. Kelly, do know, but you, yeah, you R. tell Kelly me. Kelly got convicted. Yeah, that too. happened. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. What are the chances that these things? Oh yeah, happened within the same time frame. Together, mm -hmm. Right. But what else happened? These are the things that we all heard, right? Mm -hmm. But what what did we not hear? I don't know. Biden went to the what is it, the G seven? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The G seven. What and what happened then? What did the United States do? I don't know. I just heard about the G seven. I heard about the Bilderberg too. I mean, I, I was right. following that a little bit. So, so what happened then? I don't know. What did the United States do? I don't know. The United States committed, what is it, 600 or $700 billion infrastructure package. Mm, okay. And nobody heard about it. We're going through like the biggest sort of economic and financial crisis in our history, right? Mm -hmm. But we said we don't have money or we can't, you know, resolve homelessness oh. we, we can't do any of these things you know we don't have enough money there's not a budget for it we can't control any of these things yet we go and we commit 600 billion dollars mm -hmm. right infrastructure help you know to to give money to the rest of the world yeah that's what we did it that's what really happened but we were distracted with Roe v. Wade. We were distracted with uh, the gun bill. And then they kind of swept Ghislaine Maxwell under the rug. And the biggest thing was we passed this thing that mm -hmm. nobody heard of. That's what, what is the impact of that kind of money being spent or given away? That's That commitment is going to have to our future as a country. Well, Does that just, make sense? Yeah, Does it, it totally you makes sense. The, 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 more, the point I'm trying to make? I We're totally all understand. sitting there, you know, fighting each other over my body, my choice, and, you they're know, when fighting you start and then bringing they've already snuck body, in the back my, door. 
Yeah, my body, my money. choice. I've been like, well, if it's your body, your my choice, then why did you want to try to make take the vaccine? The vaccine is my body, my choice. Mm, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it was all it's all the distraction. So what I've learned is that when these things come up, I look to see what else is happening that's not being covered because mm. that's where the real deal is. That's where things are really happening, mm-hmm. right? So. I know we got carried off. No, 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 no. So, 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 so before we go back to the Israel-Palestine, <clears throat> so that's basically, that's what a cover story is. I mean, that to me, that seems like the function of a cover story. Now, when they say cover story, they're covering up other shit. Right. But there is a cover-up <laughs> of the cover-up. There's a cover-up of the cover-up. Cover right. yep. So there is, so I say there is, there is, a, there are three things in order to get to, there is, there is the, there is what they tell you happened right then there's the conspiracy and then there is what really happened (laughs) okay so there are like three stages Mm -hmm. because you have you have what they're going to tell you is this and then there's going to be a bunch of conspiracies that they're going to see like conspiracy theories and that's a lot of times is also a distraction Mm -hmm. right so while you're you're playing with this but the truth is somewhere behind all of that. Mm, yep. Okay. I like that, so man. I go, so now going back to the Israel and Palestine conflict, mm-hmm. I think that is also a tool. It's something that's never meant to be resolved. I got you. No matter what. I mean, we've been trying to resolve this thing for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Right, we've been trying to resolve Roe v. Wade since the exactly the 80s since or 70s. 73. Yep. Right. And we're we're ba- we're back to square one. Back to square one again. Back. Yep. Do you understand? It's these things are not meant to be resolved. So you can spend the rest of your life fighting over it, banging your head against the wall, you know, saying, "Oh, Republican, Democrat." where these things are part of the same unit mm-hmm. designed to just kind of distract you while everything else is just being done behind your back. So once yeah. you take that, when, once you start taking that perspective, then, you know, life also becomes a lot easier that you're not as stressed out. You're not, you know, constantly fighting with other people because you realize that these are just a distraction well i think you have to all i think you have to whatever you're passionate about you're passionate about but you also have to pick and choose your battles for sure because it's like um we were talking about in the first episode conflict is happening all over the world it's not just in africa the middle east it's happening in latin america it's happening here so you have to pick and choose your battles and like you said if you go too headstrong in it you just become so invested in that particular aspect of it, but you also have a whole world out there and you can't defeat the whole world. You have to be very smart and you have to calculate and put your energy into what you think you can, you know, help advance. So let's, let's go back. So let's go back to this whole uh, Israel and Palestine conflict, right? I'm going to, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, you're sort of playing, I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. You're right, playing right, the right, side right. of like Palestine, Israel is taking the side. I'm going to play 
the other end of it, you know, a different right. perspective on the whole situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, this, this has been happening for like 40, 40 years since the foundation of Israel, mm -hmm. right? They went through wars and, you know, the six day war and all these things happened. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Israel gets support from the United States. Uh, Palestine also gets support from the United States mm -hmm. and other Arab countries, right? Now, one, one thing we got to keep in mind that, you know, a lot of these, you know, Muslim countries, they talk about, you know, uh, Palestinians are being ethnically cleansed. There's a mm. genocide that's going on. And that, you know, there's all these things happening. There are so many rich Arab and Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. Very, very wealthy and powerful ones, you know, around the globe that can support Palestine. They could help them build. They could, they could do a lot of these things. Why hasn't it happened in 40 years? Mm. If they really wanted to, mm -hmm. they could give, you know, Israel was a desert. When, when the Jews moved into Palestine, it was a desert, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing there in the desert, out of the desert, out of dirt. They didn't have any resources. They had nothing, mm -hmm. right? And there never in a history has ever, there ever been a country that went from zero to where they are right. in, the, in this amount of time and becoming so advanced where they're able to export their technology and everything else, you know, through, to the world. Mm -hmm. Why, if you want to take the other person, why couldn't these Arab countries, you have Saudi Arabia, you have all these oil producing companies with trillions of dollars, with, you know, uh, all this capability, all this money. Why couldn't they just take a piece of, I don't know, desert in Jordan and turn it into a new Palestine, into a new oasis. Mm -hmm. but Why hasn't so, it been done? So Why hasn't saying, it been done? No, no. Before I, before I get to that point, so you're saying that there were no people there at all? I didn't. No, no. I'm not saying there weren't any people. Oh, there. okay, okay. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to clarify. What I'm because, saying is, okay. the place was there was nothing there. It wasn't a. It wasn't like we took, infrastructure. Like Russia took over Ukraine, and they. You know, they invaded it. Mm -hmm. Like the, it wasn't like that, right? Mm -hmm. And the other question is, you you know, at least the the my side, though I would argue, is that going back to the money that Israel receives from the United States and the 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 Palestinians also get aid, right? Mm -hmm. The difference between Israel and Palestine is that the Israeli government or the Israeli people, every time they get that aid, they invest it in their own people mm -hmm. to build infrastructure, to give better education, to, 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 to grow their own country, to, to build a nation, right? Yeah, but the United States is not a neutral body. You're, you're making it seem like the United States is a neutral body when... Even if on, we're talking about you're getting you, you get you get a billion dollars, and let's say I get three billion dollars. Right? Why do you get more than I get? No, I'm let's just say okay, <laughs> fine, it's still a billion dollars, mm -hmm. right? 
you can do a lot with a billion dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the perspectives that I guess me as a, as a person who's Jewish, so this is at least what I, this is my side of the story is that the, the Palestinians take all that money and they invest it in hatred towards Israel, building tunnels and, 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 you know, getting, getting, uh, brainwashing people into going and blowing themselves up mm. and killing other Jews and like Israelis where Israel invested that money in their own military to try to protect themselves. I mean, do you see the difference? I, I see that, but that seems like, like I said, I, I feel like that just the whole, the, the whole U S influence, because it's not just Israel and Palestine is there are other people getting involved with those two. And so we can't see it as like simply Israel and Palestine. There are other players involved in the game. It's not just those two. And so, that, so Israel, I, so I, think America, I think there's been a little disingenuous because even if Palestine gets the aid, I don't think that, like you said, the, the where's the money going, where's the aid going? As far as the aid is concerned, I agree with you on that point. And, and I've heard other people who are even pro-Palestine advocates. They there have been people that said that, that the authorities or what are they doing with the money? Like this same question comes up. It's not getting to the people. It's not getting, getting to the people. It's, it's getting Israel, to the people. Yeah, you know, they have air, the Palestinian people have, have a lot of they they go to school. They go. They can go to to uh, Israeli universities. You go to Jerusalem, and the university is a lot of Arabs who go to go to school there. Mm -hmm. There are Israeli Arabs who live in Israel. Who live in Jerusalem. They don't have any conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. People, you haven't been to Israel, right? So your idea is Israel is just like bombings and and you know there's just like. People are like shooting at each other all the time. It's no, not I, like that. I, I don't think. I don't think that. That's not that's you, not. That's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Perspective. No, I get what you're saying on that side. That's the perspective they get for sure. Um, but I've seen a lot of stuff where I think it's ideological though, and it happens on both sides. Like you were saying before, I've seen it where these people are being interviewed in Israel. And they say the most hatred, the, the most hateful shit towards Palestinians, like it's the most public stuff yes. ever. And then, and then you get on the other side too, and it's like, like where is the truth in that? You know, it, it. I definitely see that point, but the people I've ran into, and again, it also has to do with the fact that I'm in the United States. That's the only perspective I have. I, I don't have. I'm. I've never been to Palestine. I've never been to Israel. And I don't have that same relationship like you do, but I can't say this much. I just know that the lobby here for Israel works a lot harder. And I know that that lobby has definitely framed sort of, and, and it's captured, honestly, both political parties. The uniparty is what I call it is captured the Dem Republicans to the point where you campaign off of Israel. You, you campaign for being pro Israel and both parties agree with this stance. You know, whether it's a right or wrong stance, they agree with that stance. And to me, that's to me, that's a very um, domineering sort of approach um, to, to have that much 
interest just for one side of the equation, you know? If it's a human crisis, then it should be distributed accordingly. It shouldn't be favoritism towards one area versus the other. And and, so what, and then you have the a like the APAC lobby is very strong. I get APAC emails all the time, and I'm not even subscribed to their newsletter. And they're like, Biden did this to help Israel. Trump did this to help Israel. I'm like, why am I getting all these like ads and stuff? And it's like all the time. Right. And and that's so what. So let's let's talk about it. the aid money. You're talking about the lobbying to get money for Israel, for sure, right? to go to the military, right? Mm-hmm. To say this is going for the military, right, right. Who gets the money? Like when Israel gets ten billion dollars for military aid, mm-hmm. where does that money go? I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming it goes to the military. I don't know. It goes to the military, and what does the military do with? It? They use it to build their weapons and you, that pay, pay their no, contractors. Their, no, no, no. They don't build their weapons. They use it to buy weapons from American military companies, weapons mm, companies. Right. So the money that America gives to Israel comes right back to the United States. To the United States. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. By buying military mm-hmm. weapons, right? Mm-hmm. For the Israeli military, mm-hmm. right? So who is the lobbying really working for? Is it for Israel? Or are they lobbying for the for the, United mil- States. for the weapons companies in the United States? The military industrial complex, for sure. Absolutely, and that definitely has a part, that has a part to do with it too, correct? Because as you know, and you probably are yourself, like I'm very anti-war and right. and it all goes into that. Like, it's like, absolutely no. I don't care if it's Israel, Ukraine, or whatever. It's like, why? Like, for what? Like, for what reason? That's never a good reason. But but that's a good point that you bring up, too, because it shows that it's just circular. It goes right back. You know, that, right. what's the real purpose behind it? Is it to help, so what, quote, unquote, Israel? Or is, is it to, you know, increase the military industrial complex? So now let's take that logic a step farther. Okay. Is there a reason why they would want to resolve this Israeli conflict. <laughs> no, not if you base it on a premise that you have war contractors and, and all the different weaponry and stuff. There's no incentive because the profit is in the war. Right. Because it's if, to keep if, it going if, on. If the, prob- if the problem is resolved, you know, which then, it can be, it can be done. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can, if they want it to between these Arab countries trying to, you know, support Palestine, help them rebuild their state, doing all of that, and creating peace and starting trade, mm-hmm. you know, it can be done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But there is no incentive, There's no incentive to do it because there is no profit in that for those people who benefit from this type of conflict. And so see, in a way, we're all stuck in the middle. And we mm-hmm. and, and I think is is we keep going back go Israel, Palestine, Israeli people back, Arab people are like this. Like it, it it's it's it goes back to saying what I said about abortion. It's something that is designed not to be resolved. Right, right. I get I like hey, and I, I I tell you, man, I like that logic. I thought you were gonna actually 
go more into the meat of matters. But now that I think of it more, hearing you discuss this, maybe it's always just been a huge buildup and distraction to begin with. And but 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 that hurts me a lot knowing that people are dying because of that, though. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And um, but like you said, it's all interconnected. And this interconnectedness is not just people, military, nation states, humanitarianism, non-humanitarianism, monsterism versus non-monsterism. We're all connected some kind of way. And this is a great example of reminding people that this is, um, these people are very inhumane people in the government. The government's a very, um, very much monsters. They're machines. These are machines and um, the way people just adore these politicians, is, is, it gets on my nerves. I'm just like, how, how do you not see that they have these crooked sides to them? They, they're terrible people. A lot of these people are terrible people. And the fact that they know all this information that we're talking about should, should make any concerned citizen just be that much more concerned. I mean, I... Yes, and I think the, the percentage of people or the number of people that are involved that really know what's going on is very small. The rest mm. of the people, people who work in APAC, you know, trying to support Israel or, or get support for Israel, they really believe that they're, they're, this is what needs to be done to they're help. Doing they're, the right really, thing. they're helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. In the court, they want to be helping, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But again, their perspective is that okay, Arab people do this. Like I said, you you know they talk about boycotting Israel, for example, right? The mm-hmm. BDS. It's going around college campuses, uh, a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a there is a video. I mean, there's a bunch of them about the Israel's contribution to the world or to to I guess society in general around the mm-hmm. world. Uh, we got to look at what's come out of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the the like the chips from like Intel are the latest chips are designed in Israel. Mm-hmm. A lot of technology that we use today comes out of Israel. You know, a lot of the biggest uh, cybersecurity company that protect like I think ninety percent of the financial institutions. That we have around the world mm-hmm. are Israeli companies, are Israeli technology, right? You know Shazam. Yeah. You know Shazam, the, mm-hmm. the app Shazam. Of course, you know, the music app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know the story behind Shazam? Mm-mm. Like how it created the technology, where it came from. Mm-mm. So, the underlying code underneath Shazam was a military intelligence software that was developed in like. Uh, one of the most elite units in Israel called Unit 8200. Oh, okay. There was a software they used to recognize and decipher terrorist chatter and activities, like noise, like mm-hmm. sound, to identify terrorists. And they created that into a and music? Got, no, and the guy, the, the guy who was, you know, was responsible for developing that software for the military after he left he realized he could use that similar technology to build an app that would listen to bits and pieces of music and information and recognize 
what song it is. Mm-hmm. So that is innovative, man. You, uh, what else? I mean, there is, uh, you know, the every time you pick up the phone and it says your call may be monitored or recorded, mm-hmm. I think that came like the base of that came from the Israeli military again, trying to uh, record, like they were when they're trying to track terrorists, where they record all these voices. So they're, they were able, now they're able to uh, decide, you can, you can test this, I've tested it and worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, so they, they integrated this technology into that where you can detect when a customer who's calling you is what state of mind they're in, if they're angry or if they're pissed off or if they're, you know, how they feel. And based on that, the algorithm will put you in front of the line. So if you're an angry customer Mm. who's calling, let's say FedEx or whatever, they don't want to keep you waiting and make you even more angry. Upset. Mm -hmm. So they put you in front of the call. Right. So next time you call one of these companies, right, big companies, try like breathing heavy into the phone and like punch buttons. Oh gosh. Okay. Based wow. on that, the, the algorithm will detect that this guy is angry because you're breathing fast. You're, mm-hmm. you're and it detects that you'll you'll get to you get to a customer service much faster. That go that sounds very um much like this artificial intelligence stuff that's coming out now. But this has been around for 10 years, 10, 15 years. Already been out for 15 years. Yeah. But this, I mean, these are small ones. There's a lot of these. My, my point was, my point is, people talk about, we've already sort of res- figured out that this conflict is, is, is designed not to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Right? So we also have to, at the same time, see... To, to give credit to a lot of the things that, that has come out, like in front you know, Israel or the, the, uh, uh, the contribution that's made by Israel to the rest of the world as well. It's not mm-hmm. all that Israel has done this, they've taken this, they've done right, this. Right, right. But in their process of building their own country, they've also been able to do all these great things. Um, some people might say, uh, okay, these things are not a big deal, but there's there is countless other things in medicine and mm-hmm. security and technology and a lot of these things that that Israel has contributed that we also need to be you know, yeah it's just uh, and talk about it's just and uh, Soda Stream Soda Stream too Soda Stream Soda Stream is is was designed and manufactured in Israel. It's it's not that it's just um. It's not that I don't understand. And I know you're not really, it's directed really towards people who have like this developed ignorance because we do have these tunnels of thought and, and we can all get caught up in it. That's why I brought you on specifically for this particular topic, because it's something that I don't know a ton about. I only know about it because of what I've been informed over the years, but I don't have any personal connection with it to the point where I can contextualize these things the same way you can. And and, but and I would say that this is one of geopolitics in general is an area that I'm still in development as far as learning. Like I have my areas of expertise, but geopolitics is one of those things that I'm still sort of, you know, I'm growing, you know, constantly right. every day. And so uh, I appreciate these conversations and, and exchanges when it 
when it deals with these sort these very polarizing topics. Right. Um, but I mean, I want you to know, I wasn't, I, I don't think I tried to say right now, defend Israel. What the perspective I gave was that we can talk about and go in circles about the conflict between Israel and Palestine. But mm -hmm. it, we're not going to get anywhere. Not going to get anywhere at all. This is something that is designed not to be resolved. But that's what I'm saying. Like but that's what I'm saying. This is like, for me, this felt way more productive than us going back and trying to like cite leaders in the Palestinian territories versus the Israeli government. I mean, that that's fucking pointless. Like, there's no point. We just be arguing back and forth all day. You know, it's like that you don't get anything from that. Just for the listeners to know, when we mention APAC, that stands for American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, I think is what it stands for. Um, because I know a lot of my audience may not understand some of these acronyms. And so I thought it was important to at least acknowledge what APAC stands for, A-I-P-A-C, um, which is a huge um, um, American Israeli lobby. You know, D.C. is, you all know about D.C. and all the lobby um, activity that happens there. 